God, we do indeed thank you for mothers and uh, what a beautiful part of your creation that shows your wisdom in the way that you have orchestrated everything to operate. Um, We just give you thanks for our moms. And we look to you, our God and our King, sovereign ruler over all of creation. Your authority is over the depths of the earth and the surface of the earth and the heavens and the highest heavens. You alone are God. And you rule and reign supreme. And there is none like you. And we thank you that your word teaches that in your sovereign wisdom you're good and that you love us. And you've displayed that love by sending your own son in the likeness of man, that he might be our substitutionary atonement on the cross to pay for our sins, so that the divide between us, your rebellious creatures, and you, the all-wise God, might be mended through his work. And we praise you that you're the seeking God, you're the loving God, you're the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we worship you for that. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at this text from 1 Peter, that as we talk about human institutions and emperors and governors who rule and reign over people, that ultimately our eyes would see past all of those structures to you and your throne and your kingdom and your glory. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, You can open your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one of ours, that little black table there by the door is kind of our welcome table, and we always have some extra Bibles on there, which you can have. While you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, a few years back, I had somebody from church call me and say, hey, I'd like to get together with you and uh, talk about something. And I'm going to use this illustration. They no longer attend Maricopa Springs, but I was willing to sit down with them, of course. We met up. And when I asked them why they wanted to meet, they said, well, I just have some concerns about uh, the direction that your preaching has been going recently. And I was a bit surprised. Uh, I asked them, why do you say that? And their response to me was that they had noticed a significant increase in the amount of politics that was working its way into my sermons. And I admit that I do comment on cultural issues pretty often. I think the culture is a good place to get a picture of the morality of the nation that we live in and the society that we're part of. But I actually feel like, and maybe you've got some feedback for me after the sermon, I actually feel like I would do a pretty good job of not letting my sermons become purely political commentary, okay? Um, So I asked them, what specifically have you noticed that I'm saying that's political in my sermons? And they said, well, you've been talking a lot recently about abortion and LGBTQ stuff and feminism and, you know, all of these things. And so I was like, well, you're right. I absolutely have been doing that. Like, I agree with your assessment. And then I said, but when do you think you noticed this shift towards these political issues. And uh, they told me that it was a couple months back, uh, and they felt like it had 
corresponded with the election cycle that we were going through. And that's when I responded. I said, at that point, you actually are wrong. And here's why. The changes had begun a couple months back, but not because of any election cycle. The subject of my preaching focused in on those issues because of the passages of Scripture that we were addressing. We had recently begun the book of Genesis, which talks a lot about uh, human life and sexuality and the relationship between men and women. And so it wasn't that my preaching had become more political because I was on some tirade to talk about politics. Rather, the parts of Scripture that we were working our way through as we uh, studied Genesis led us inevitably to those topics. They drew out from the text those topics. And those topics had to be addressed because the Bible was forcing us into those kinds of discussions. And so I told them, hang around a little bit longer. We're about to transition to Abraham, and I promise when we get to Abraham, things will change because there's a whole different set of themes that comes out of that part of Scripture. The reason I tell this story is because as much as I hate to mix preaching and politics, you know my philosophy of preaching. Like, I want to talk about Jesus, right? That's what I want to talk about. But today, there's simply no way to avoid mixing the topic of politics and preaching because these verses that we're going to read together in a minute penetrate specifically into the realm of politics. The Bible does talk about this. So if you're one of those people who gets a little bit squeamish when the pastor begins to say political things from the pulpit, uh, I'm sorry today. I'm going to make you uncomfortable more than likely. There's a good chance I might upset some people in this room. Um, that's quite possible. But that's kind of the danger in preaching your way through a book of the Bible, right? There's different ways to approach preaching and teaching when, when Christians gather together. Some churches do it topically, right? At a lot of churches today, what are they talking about? Mothers. Uh, we're going to talk about politics because the way that we approach the Bible is we choose a book usually and we just preach our way through it. And the dangerous thing about that is eventually you get the passages of Scripture or verses where you're like, I don't know that people are going to like to hear this today. But I think that that's actually healthy. We can't avoid parts of the Bible that are recorded. We need to address them. Okay, so let's read 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, do me a favor. We're going to spend our time in this text, but flip over to Romans chapter 13 for me if you have your Bible or scroll there in your phone. Because in Romans chapter 13, we get a very similar text. It's a little bit more drawn out, a little bit more detailed. And I think it'll bring a little bit of additional clarity to our verses. So I'm going to be referencing this as well. So it'd be good for you to see it. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And you can keep your, Peter, or your finger in First Peter because we're going to flip back there. 
Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Now you can flip back to 1 Peter chapter 2. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter gives us one command here. That command is be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. To be subject here means that you're under the power or authority of a government or a ruler. And actually, the Greek word here communicates the idea of submission, So we could translate verse 13 something like this. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now this is a difficult teaching, isn't it? Especially considering the cultural environment that we're living in today, our current political situation. The command in verse 13 means that we as Christians, because we submit to God, therefore submit to the authority of the government, those who rule. And Peter gives us, I think, quite a breadth. He he does it very compactly, but he gives us quite a breadth of the authorities that we're commanded to submit to. He begins by talking about the emperor as supreme, the guy who's at the very top of the food chain, and then the governor on a more local level. And then he goes so far as to say that we must submit to every human institution. Again, I think the Greek word here is a little bit uh, helpful when we're talking about institution. That word kind of means system of authority, whatever system of authority there is. So that means, again, as Christians... We are commanded to submit ourselves to every human system of authority. So let's name a few things that fall underneath this command to kind of draw it out and make it very practical. You should submit yourself to the federal government and also to your boss, who is your authority. You should submit yourself to the police and to the local city council. You should submit yourself to the U.S. Constitution and the Arizona state law. If you're a union, you should submit yourself, or I'm sorry, if you're part of a union, you should submit yourself to the union leaders. Even your HOA, despite the fact that HOAs are basically just organized crime, (laughs) you should still submit yourself to the HOA. 
I'm joking about the, sort of joking about the organized crime thing. <laughs> but that's not all. There's another one that maybe you've not thought about. Another system of authority would be the church leadership. If you attend Maricopa Springs, then you are required, according to Scripture, to be submitted to the authority of the elders of our church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, specifically mentions obeying the leaders that God has appointed over his people who watch over their souls. Maybe that's an area of authority you've never even considered. You know, this is America, and what do we value? What do we almost even idolize? Our freedom, right? But as Christians, again, attending Maricopa Springs, you're under the authority of our elders, which is a reason for you to pray for us so that we have the wisdom needed to do that, to hold that position well. But let's get even more specific about how these verses might apply with some examples. Peter's teaching here that's also echoed by Paul in Romans chapter 13 means that as Christians, we should pay our taxes. Even if the government takes that tax money and uses it to fund abortions or fund wars or the production of weapons that will be used to kill people in foreign countries, still you should pay your taxes. We should follow the directives of police officers when we're forced to interact with them, even if police officers sometimes abuse their authority or go on a power trip. We must keep the law even if we don't like it. Don't you feel like there's some laws where you're like, that is so dumb? We must keep the law. And we must obey the elders of our church when they command us according to what the scriptures teach, even when we don't really want to or we don't like it. There are some times where dealing with issues in people's lives, I've said, well, what do the scriptures say about this issue? And we look and then we try to apply that and the response is, well, I don't really want to do that. Actually, you are supposed to obey that command. Let's look at another example this will get a little bit more personal. When COVID-19 hit, there were several government mandates that were put into place. Personally, I don't really like the idea of government mandates. We live in a country that is a representative republic or a representative democracy, which means that our laws are supposed to be the result of elections where we put in place representatives in Congress who pass laws, and those are what we are obligated to follow. But these mandates came down, and in an effort to be subject to the governing authorities, our elders followed those mandates for the Lord's sake, so that we could be obedient to this scripture. When the school district told us that in order to use this space, which doesn't belong to us, we had to socially distance the chairs and make people wear masks, that was what we asked you to do because that was what the governing authorities required. 
And then when the mandate was lifted and it became merely a recommendation, it's no longer this is what you must do, but this is what we suggest you do, we scaled back those requirements and no longer asked you to follow them. Um, we left open the option so that for the sake of your conscience, you could do what you thought was right before the Lord, since it was no longer a mandate. We're not obligated to follow recommendations, but we are obligated to submit ourselves to every human institution because this is a command from God. Now, in retrospect, if you have followed any of the developments of what we know about COVID now, many of those mandates were totally made up and absolutely irrational. They had no scientific evidence to back them whatsoever. But that does not change our biblical duty to adhere to the requirements that those in authority have placed us under. When those mandates were given, we were obligated to follow them. And the truth is, the way that our elder team handled that situation, as much as we thought we were being very careful and precise, it upset people on both sides of the spectrum. There were some people who said, well, you should apply the recommendations as if they are mandates. And you had other people who said, well, mandates, these things go too far and we shouldn't be following them at all. Our goal was only to obey God. Our elder team desired to be able to stand before God and say, we did what we thought Scripture taught, what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Now that brings us to the motivation for being subject to the governing authorities and the human institutions that are over us. Peter tells us why we must do this in verse 13. Do you see? Be subject for the Lord's sake. Now, I guess if I had to pick just one thing that you would hear this morning, if you only hear one thing, it would be this. We submit to those who are in authority because we trust God. We trust the providence and the wisdom of our God, and it is out of trust for Him that we are willing to submit ourselves to these human institutions. Submitting to the governing authorities is ultimately a matter of faith and trust in our hearts in God. If you refuse to be subject to the authorities, it's not ultimately them that you fail to trust. We know that they don't really deserve much trust, do they? But you are failing to trust God when you do not follow through on obedience to this command. That's what Peter says, for the Lord's sake. We heard Paul say it in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. Let me read that for you again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So Paul says that the human institutions which Peter tells us we must be subject to, they exist as institutions because God has placed them in the place of authority that they have. Do you actually believe that? Do you really? Do you believe that those in authority are there because God has appointed them? 
Do you understand why Joe Biden is president of the United States of America? It's not because he won an election. It's because God in his sovereign wisdom and power has appointed this man, raised him up to be the president of our country for this point in time. Do you believe that? I don't presume to know exactly why God has chosen to do this. My personal opinion about the character of Joe Biden is that he's a terrible president. He's a wicked and immoral man. And I think that he institutes policies that are deeply displeasing to God. But Paul told us in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, that as president, as the supreme emperor, ruler, leader of our country, whatever word you want to use, Joe Biden is God's servant. He's serving the purposes of God. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But the point here is that in this creation where God wisely and lovingly governs all things according to his perfect authority, there are no governments, no leaders, no powers that are not under his authority. Every government, every authority exists because God has given to them the power that they have. They're his servants to accomplish his will. And therefore, because we trust God, we submit ourselves to every human institution. Because ultimately, to do so is to submit ourselves to the commands of Scripture and the will of God who is sovereign over all of this. We trust that God knows what he's doing. Don't you think God knows what he's doing? I know God knows what he's doing. As he rules over the nations, he rules with wisdom. And he rules with a purpose. And if it doesn't make sense to me, so be it. My responsibility is simply to trust in his wisdom and his goodness. So let me say this one other way in an effort to be totally clear. To resist the authority of human institutions is to resist the rule and authority of God himself. And to resist the rule and authority of God is to act in unbelief and rebellion, which is sin. Now, this teaching is difficult, I think, for at least three reasons. I'm only going to give you three, which I would be willing to bet are already kind of bouncing around in your head, right? Do you find yourself sitting there thinking about all the ways that you can justify kind of not actually obeying what verse 13 says? So let's deal with these. First, what if leaders and those in authority break the law? Should we follow the authorities or should we follow the law? And this is not really a question that Peter would have even understood in the uh, government framework that he grew up under. In his day, the emperor was the law. What the emperor decreed was by decree law. We live in a democracy, which is a little bit different. I was kind of already explaining it. Our president is not an emperor. He's not even the legislative branch that makes the law. He's the executive branch, which is supposed to carry out the law. He is supposed to be subject to the law, the law which is passed by Congress according to the will of the people. So we have to think really hard and carefully about how this applies to our situation. And I think that Scripture teaches 
that our obligation as Christians is always to the highest authority first and foremost. That's the principle that I would give you. The highest authority must be the one that we submit to first and foremost. So, because God himself is the highest authority then, obviously, he always gets our obedience and our submission first. And I would say then, since the Bible is how we know what the commands of God are, that means that we must follow the Bible first and foremost. How do we know what it looks like to submit to God? We look at his word and we do what it says. We're never authorized as Christians, we're never authorized as Christians under any circumstance to break any command or law given to us by the authority of God himself. Next, I would be so bold as to claim that since the kingdom of God supersedes or is greater than any kingdom of man, since we are a holy nation as Christians, we talked about that from 1 Peter chapter 2, that the second highest authority for Christians would be the church. Which means that the elders of the church require our submission as the second greatest authority. Is that how you think about the structures of authority? I mean, assuming they're being faithful to the scriptures and that they're not violating the word of God, right? God's authority is higher. So if ever an elder was to command something contrary to what God has commanded, you must obey God. Then I would say the third highest authority for us as American Christians is actually our re- in our representative democracy is the law. So we must follow the law because the law is an even higher authority than the president himself. If there were some kind of presidential executive order that came out that violated the law of our country, we must not follow that executive order. We must follow the law because the law is a higher authority than the office of president in our government. And we can go down the list, right? We can can keep fleshing out this exercise as we move down uh, to kind of see how the structure should work regarding the different authorities that God has ordained for our well-being. You know, another example might be your boss. If your boss tells you to break the law, his authority is less than the law. And so you cannot do that. And of course, you can go higher up than that and say, God says don't break the law, so you can't do what your boss says, right? Okay, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go any further. You can work through the principles and figure out how they apply. I think as mature believers with the scriptures, uh, I'll just leave that up to you. The point is, we must not obey a lesser authority if that authority would cause us to be in disobedience of a higher authority. Now, the second difficulty we encounter with Peter's teaching on submitting to those in authority is, What if the human institutions are engaged in outright evil? Does their evil invalidate God's command for us to be subject to them? If the government does evil, does that excuse me from being subject to the government? Well, the answer, I think, here requires two parts. First, governments and authorities who do evil do not invalidate God's command for us to be subject to them. Let me say it another way. 
if the government does evil, we are still obligated to submit. You remember way back uh, to the beginning of our study with Peter, uh, 1 Peter, I told you that one of the themes of 1 Peter's letter is the theme of suffering and persecution. Peter is writing to a church that is being persecuted by the Jews and also by the Romans. And it was making life very difficult for Christians. And isn't it interesting then that in a letter about the church being persecuted by the Romans and by the Jewish leaders that Peter would write verses 13 and 14? To teach Christians that just because people in authority do evil does not mean that we get to cast off their authority and reject it. Remember, who has put the governments and authority figures that do evil in power? God has. In Peter's day, the emperor was a generally wicked dude. When he collected taxes, he used them for whatever pleased him. Some of them might have gone to some of the social needs like roads and armies and things like that, but a lot of it just went to his own philandering. And yet the Bible says pay your taxes, even under the emperor of Rome. God knew full well when he put the Roman emperor on the throne and when he made Joe Biden president that these men would use their power for evil. God knew that. It doesn't surprise him. And yet God still raised them up as his servants to accomplish his purposes. So although their evil is to be condemned, that's why I feel no shame standing up here saying that I think Joe Biden is an immoral, wicked man. I condemn his evil practices with all my heart. And yet I can also say that we are to be subject to the governing authorities because for the Lord's sake, God would have us be in submission to those he has raised up to rule. And we can find comfort in the truth that at the end of all of this, God will bring his perfect justice to bear on all things. And at least we know for leaders in the church that they will be judged by a higher standard because of the authority that they had. And I think it's therefore fair to say that principle will apply to leaders outside the church as well. But we can find comfort in the truth that at the end of all things, like we see with uh, Babylon in Revelation and even in the Old Testament with Israel and the nations surrounding Israel, God will not let the wickedness of nations go unpunished. The evil of rulers and governments and nations and every human institution will be judged. But the other part of my answer to this question requires me to remind you of our first principle. Do you remember it? We must not obey a lesser authority if that lesser authority would command us to disobey a higher authority. In other words, Joe, Joe Biden might do evil and he might even lead our nation into evil, which does not invalidate his authority. But if the government personally commands us or mandates that we engage in some evil by our own actions, then of course we cannot comply. 
A good example of this is found in the Old Testament. Maybe you know the story from Daniel 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of Babylon, decides that he's going to make this national decree that he expects everyone to obey. And he builds this big idol and he says, everyone must bow down to this idol or you'll be put to death. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, when the time comes to bow, they're found standing. And the king says, well, then I'll have you thrown into the fiery furnace because you won't obey my command. And they understand that because God's authority is higher than the authority even of the king of Babylon, they cannot comply. They cannot bow to the idol because it would be displeasing to God. And so with the utmost respect to the king, honoring him as king, they tell him, no, we won't bow to your idol. We won't obey. And they never suggest that he's an illegitimate king. They never diminish his authority. They never speak poorly about him. They simply refuse to do anything that would be displeasing to God, no matter what kind of authority the king claims. And again, when the king threatens to kill them, they still refuse, and yet they always show him the respect that he deserves as king. So the principle here is this. Evil rulers still require our submission according to the will of God, although we are never permitted to participate in the evil that they do. The third difficulty of our teaching today is connected to verse 14. Peter tells us that the rulers and authorities to which we must submit have a specific mandate for their power. Do you see what it is? What does God expect rulers and authorities to do with their power in verse 14? They're raised up for a purpose, and that purpose is to punish evil and praise good. So if authorities fail in their mandate to punish evil and praise good, does that mean then that we can cast off their authority? Can we say this is what they're supposed to do and they're not doing it, therefore they no longer have valid authority? And the answer again is no, we cannot. And unfortunately, we're seeing this all over in our country right now, aren't we? We're seeing this kind of failure all over the place. You know, if you've been paying attention to the news this week, there's tens of thousands of people crossing into our country illegally, that's illegal, and the government is doing nothing to stop it. Now, we could have all kinds of conversations about the needs and plights, the need and the plight of the immigrant and the refugee, and that's a conversation worth having. But as it stands, the law is that you cannot enter our country. And yet, the government is not punishing those who do. Or what about good folks who go to abortion clinics to pray for mothers and babies, to try and help them, to try and show them a different way? And I don't know, again, if you've... No like paid attention, but some of those people have been arrested and prosecuted just for that, just for doing good, that the government calls evil now. There's a whole lot of things that are evil that our government is now calling good, and there's a whole lot of good things that our government is now saying is evil, and the human institutions and people in power seem to be in full support of this totally wicked, backward way 
of viewing what is good and right and moral. And so Peter explains the ideal behavior of rulers and governments and authorities. They are supposed to punish evil and praise what is good. But like every human endeavor in a fallen world, things very often do not go as they should. They fall short of God's expectations. But I want to tell you that once again, we fall back on what Scripture tells us concerning God's sovereign authority. Again, from Romans chapter 13, verse 1. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So we must still be submitted to these authorities even if they are evil. So then we encounter the question, why would God appoint authorities who are evil or incompetent? If God is supreme and sovereign over this, why would he do something like this? If we're supposed to submit to these people, why would God raise up evil institutions? Now, there's probably a myriad of answers to this question. I'm just going to give you one. And the one is potentially for judgment. Friends, it is quite possible that our nation has the leaders that it currently has, not merely because our country is full of people with corrupt hearts that want this kind of thing. It's quite possible that people like Joe Biden are in positions of authority because they are actually God's judgment upon our nation for the sins of our nation. Now, maybe not. Maybe God will continue to be merciful to us in spite of America's historical slaughter of 60 million preborn babies. Maybe God will continue to be merciful to us in spite of our callous wealth and indifference or our pagan idolatry or our rampant sexual perversion or our greed and apathy. Maybe God will continue to be merciful to us, even though as a nation we tend to call good evil and evil good. God might continue his mercy to us in spite of these things. Maybe there will even be a revival. Maybe there will even be a great repentance of people in our country and a turning back to God so that like Nineveh, God will stay his hand of judgment and be pleased when people repent of their sin and turn to him. But one reason why God raises up evil authorities is so that the evil authorities themselves might be judgment from God upon the people who praise evil and hate what is good. Isaiah 34 verse 5, God declares, For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted for destruction. The point here is that one way in which God devotes a people for destruction is by raising up evil authorities to lead those people even further down the path of evil so that God's judgment will come in full. So we must understand that even when leaders and authorities do evil, although we must never participate in that evil with them, we still cannot cast off our submission to them because 
God appoints these rulers for a purpose. And in the end, we can have great confidence that God himself, God who is the supreme ruler, he is the emperor of all creation and time and eternity. He is the king over kings. He is the Lord above lords. And he will punish those who do evil and he will praise those who do good. Praise God for that. Let that be a motivation for you to do what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. But we can have confidence that our God is good and he is accomplishing his good purposes always, even when he uses wicked servants as his tools. One last verse, verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We're surrounded by ignorant and foolish people. Don't you sometimes wonder, like, how did we get here? Well, because ignorant and foolish people are all around us. Romans says that these people suppress the truth of God with a lie. Which is precisely why we must do good, friends. We must submit to our leaders, which is good. Because in doing good, our good conduct, that is a testimony. When we obey God and we do what is good and right in his eyes, then we are testifying that we trust him. To the ignorant and foolish people, we are testifying through our good works that we trust God. Verse 15 here echoes verse 12. Look back at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So when we submit to the God-appointed leaders, we are keeping our conduct honorable. And that honorable conduct is an opportunity for us to testify about the goodness of Christ. We do not submit to human institutions and authorities because we trust them or because we support what they do. No, we submit because we trust God. And our submission is an opportunity for us to say, look at how great my God is. Look at how powerful he is. Look how wise he is. And we testify that justice will be done by God. Right? We don't need to take revenge because God will sort it out in the end. We testify that Christ is king. And because he's a good king, he will reward good conduct. And so we seek to please only him. William Tyndale said, As faith alone justifies us before God, so deeds alone justify us before men. In other words, the truth of our Christian faith is proved to the world when we do good because our good conduct displays the goodness of our God. And so the, our, our reason for doing good as Christians, it's not grounded in these human institutions. It's not grounded in the character of the rulers that we are called to be subject to. Our reason for doing good is grounded in the will of God. And it's grounded in the character of God, in the love of God, the power of God. So let me close by looking to Jesus, okay? And this is always my favorite part. Um, sometimes we have to look, work through biblical commands, but what I want you to see is that Jesus, who has gone before us, 
followed the commands. And therefore, because his spirit is in you, you are empowered to be like him. So let's close by looking at Jesus because the gospel, the good news about Jesus, it's always at the heart of every command that scripture gives us. Jesus followed this command to be subject to emperors and governors, and that's why Peter now passes it on to us. Jesus is a higher authority than us, and so we must do what he commands. We must be like him. So first and foremost, Jesus obeyed the authority of God the Father. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went because God the Father said, this is my will for you, that your blood would be spilled, that you would redeem a people. It was the will of God to crush Jesus. And since Jesus trusted God his Father, he was subject to the Father. And he gave us an example to follow. Jesus also obeyed the Romans. Can you believe it? Jesus never rose up in rebellion against Rome. He never gathered an army to cast off the emperor. Even though it was the evil of Rome that ultimately put Jesus on the cross, it was their command to crucify him, Jesus followed the authorities. And Jesus obeyed the Jewish law. Even though the Jewish leaders would twist and manipulate the law in order to condemn Jesus so that he would be crucified, he was falsely accused, and yet Jesus did not resist the human institutions of his day. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was no revolutionary when it came to governments. He simply did good, and he trusted the higher authority of God the Father in the face of his suffering. And so the life of Jesus reminds us of this transcendent truth, which lies behind the teaching of Peter and Paul here. When they speak about governments and authorities, do you understand? There are no merely human institutions. If you believe that God is the sovereign creator and Lord of all, there are no merely human institutions. There are no truly self-appointed leaders or democratically elected officials. Every power and every authority, every leader and governor, all of them are, are, are ordained and appointed by God as his servants to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes those purposes are evil things like crucifying the Son of God so that God can display his love to save mankind. Sometimes God's purposes are for the just and righteous destruction of nations that are evil. Sometimes his purposes are for repentance and revival and revitalization among a people. Sometimes God's purposes for these leaders are to bring peace and blessing and prosperity. But whatever God's purpose might be, in the leaders that he appoints, they are appointed by God. And they are under his power, under his authority. They rule at his pleasure. They serve his good and wise purposes. And friends, this truth gives us great confidence in God, doesn't it? It should. Because we know God loves us. And we know that all of his power, all of his work is directed towards what is good for us. We know that God saves us. We know that his purposes are redemptive in the end. We can see in scripture that God is using his authority to bless us. 
even though it might come through suffering and hardship and difficulty. And then that allows us to just not get caught up in politics. Who really cares? Christ is supreme. Our king reigns. We belong to an everlasting, indestructible kingdom where righteousness prevails and God himself will reward those who do good and he alone has authority. Let me pray. God, I ask that you would give us the grace that we need to obey this command. So much news is coming at us all the time and our government is so big and has its fingers in so many different things that it can feel despairing to look at the state of our world or the state of our country or the kinds of leaders that we have. And so I pray that we would just look past all of those things and we would look to Christ. Jesus, I thank you that you obeyed the authority of your Father and went to the cross. And I pray that we would look to you and that we would follow in your footsteps, that we would be obedient to the word of God, trusting our heavenly Father and his good purposes. Amen.